if you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Today on Horse Chats, we've got Wendy Murdoch back. Now, if you haven't heard of any of her podcasts before, I would recommend she's just the absolute all-rounder. The first time she came on, we talked about Surefoot Equine Stability Program, and that was very interesting, something that you can see in episode number 453. Then we came and talked about general riding tips in 423. Then we went on to jumping in 476, and then we'll talk about horse training in 684. So she's certainly the all-round horse person, but this is something that we haven't talked to her about, and this is about going on a horseback safari to Kenya. So we're going to talk about that today. But before we start, I just want to remind you about the values of International Horse College. Horse welfare and safety are of utmost importance when any humans have any interaction with horses. Within the courses at International Horse College, we only utilise methods that promote safe and humane ways of interaction between horses and humans And we only support safe methods of educating riders, handlers and trainers in all our courses. Have a look, internationalhorsecollege.com, registered training organisation 31352. Wendy, how are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you? Wendy, this whole African safari thing, you know, you talk about it being a trip of a lifetime, but it really is. And I think we're going to talk today about 10 ways to make it the trip of your lifetime. You know, just that extra preparation and everything that with your experience of taking tours over there, you're going to talk to us today. Is that okay? Sure. Yeah, Yeah. I'd love to. Yeah. This is just brilliant. But before we even get started on that, just tell us quickly how you got started doing these safaris. Well, I I will tell you that it was never on my bucket list. Um, And so the last thing I expected to own is a um, international equine booking agency to book trips to take people on horseback safari to Kenya. But it all started back in 90, I think it was 97, or I don't think it was 98 yet. But um, I I went to Florida to a a Tellington Jones Econ Awareness workshop with Robin Hood, Linda's sister. Mm -hmm. And one of the participants was a woman named Mary Robinson from Alaska. And so she, I, I did some teaching. I talked about saddle fit. And by the end of it, she said, how would I like to take people to, um, it was actually Botswana at the time, the first two that we did to Botswana on a horseback safari. And, you know, of course I said, well, sure. Well, it was back in the day of fax machines and a, I was on AOL email. Mm-hmm. And the next thing I know, my fax machine's running and my emails are coming in and, and she's like super excited about doing this. And the next thing I know, we organized a group. We took the first group was uh, 12 people and um, we, she handled all of the admin stuff. Yep. I was just there to to do some teaching. And in Botswana, we went to African horseback safaris, which is on the Delta. Um, it was dry season. It was March. So there was no, uh, they kept talking about islands and we're like, I don't know what you're talking about. But in dry season, there's no water. And then in wet season, what happens uh-huh. is the rains okay. come down from Angola and they are islands. Yep. Um, so we went, it's 
uh, was from a base camp called Makatu, and we would ride out in the morning. And the very first ride out at 7.30 in the morning with tall grass, mm-hmm. we saw little dome shapes over the top of the grass, and we rode up on Lion from the very first ride. Wow. Um, wow. And when, well, okay, so number one, when you ride up on Lion, mm-hmm. you move slowly and you talk loudly if you're going to ride away in Botswana. Yep. Um, in Kenya, we we stop and our fearless leader, Gordy Church, makes sure that we're at a safe distance, but we enjoy viewing the lions. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and you let your horse graze. And the reason you let your horse graze is because that's what grazing animals do. And if everybody's grazing, everybody's like, oh, we're cool. Everything's yes. okay. 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 Um, so when, so when we're in Kenya, which is where I go now, and we ride up on something interesting to watch, whether that's lion or other mm-hmm. kind of game, you you let the horses graze. And I'll tell you, that's one of the things that's so hard for people to let go of because we're taught not to let our horse graze when mm-hmm. we're riding mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. But anyway, um, you know, Mary was great. We went and then um, came back and she wanted to do it again. So we went back in 99. Um It was quite different between 98 and 99 because we stopped at Victoria Falls. We actually flew into Harare in Zimbabwe and then uh, went out to the uh, to Vic Falls and from there went out to the Mara. Uh, Sorry, um, the Delta. And so the first year was felt very safe and we were in Harare and everything's fine. And in 99, Dr. Joyce Harmon and I flew out early because we brought in. Oh, about twenty thousand dollars worth of research equipment. Okay, yes. <laughs> we had computers and yep, yep. cameras and saddles and pads, and um, we went out to do a little experiment, which we never finished, actually. <laughs> okay, <laughs> um, but but we it's a, that's another story. But um, we flew out and we stayed at Victoria Falls, but it already felt extremely different in Zimbabwe. We were met by men with. Um, automatic weapons and it was $50 us to get into the country and uh, you just okay. paid the cash. Okay. Um, but when we get, when you get to the Delta and that's the thing is when you get out to the Delta, or you get out to the Mara, it's a very different, um, mm-hmm. because basically in the Delta, they have these huge, huge reserve areas and they only allow so many people in so as not to disturb the game. So when we got out to the Delta, it was, you know, you're, you're 12 people in, and I, I can't even tell you how much land area that mm-hmm. you're the only ones on. Yeah. Yep. Um, but one of the things we got to do, which was really interesting and um, a once in a lifetime, definitely for me, is that there was uh, the elephant back safaris nearby and they had an elephant with a saddle fitting problem. So Dr. Harmon and I went over to see this elephant, and she had her computer saddle fit equipment, her pressure pad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and this is 1999, so it was her old model. Yeah. And um, and and so we went out there, and I have this fabulous picture of a man sitting on just behind the head of the elephant with the trunk coming down, and between the front legs and the trunk is Dr. Harmon on the ground with her laptop trying to make it work with all these guides around her because the computer failed. Oh, no. <laughs> it did not work. <laughs> okay. It's fabulous, you know, technology in the bush, right? Um, and we had a thermography camera, and the first thing they did was cook the transformer, but they were able to fix that so we could use the thermography camera. But 
um, the bottom line was I walked over to the saddle and, you know, sometimes your own eyes are the best thing to use. Um, mm. I walked over to the elephant saddle and I pulled back the foam padding and here was a bolt about, you know, stick <sighs> around was my thumb wow. that was sticking down through open, you know, into open cell foam. And that was jamming into his shoulder. Poor thing. Um, mm. So um, we got a ride on an elephant on that elephant, actually back <laughs> to camp, which was just absolutely amazing to ride an African elephant because they're, they're much more, you have to be very careful with African elephants. They're not like Indian elephants. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Very different. Um, And so like the handlers stay with the elephants for months and months and months. And then when they do take a vacation, they go away for a, a longer period of time because it takes several weeks to reintegrate back into the herd. You don't just come back and they're like, oh, cool. It takes a long time. You know, you give elephants a lot of respect. Mm -hmm. Um, They're amazing, amazing creatures. Um, But anyway, so I went in 98 and 99 to Botswana with Mary. And then she moved from Alaska to Oregon and she asked me to come out and do a clinic. And now I realize that she just was asking me to do a clinic so that she could have me come out and start the safari thing all over (laughs) again. (laughs) All right. All right. And so, two thousand late two thousand six, I think yep. it was, or yep. or two thousand seven. Um, you know, I went out and she started again, but this time she wanted to go to Kenya mm-hmm. because Kenya is a very different experience than Botswana. So one of the tips is you need to make a decision whether you want to go from a base camp and ride out from a base camp, or if you want what's called true safari, where you pack out. All of your equipment, your crew, your horses, your feed, everything, and you travel for nine days across the Mara in true safari style. I mean, it's the old, old, you know, it's the real deal. And everything from we have uh, yogurt and uh, whipped cream, and you know, like they can make ice because they have a they have a, a solar freezer. Yep. Um, so we have ice, and we have you know cold drinks. Wow. Um, and it's really, you know, if you have ever listened to um, Out of Africa, yeah. and I, I highly recommend that you actually, this is a, another tip, to listen to the audio version of Out of Africa and another fabulous book, which is uh, West with the Night by Beryl Markham. And Beryl Markham was a pilot back in the late 1800s, about the same time that um, Karen von Blixen was there. and it's they're both beautifully written books and on audio they're fabulously read with great accents beautiful voices um and uh, beryl markham would uh, fly around taking medical supplies or bringing people in if they needed to see a doctor or delivering things that's how you know that was their basic their ups um or dhl was airplanes and so in 2008 we went to um, Kenya for the first time. Mm-hmm. And we flew into Nairobi. And uh, what I do now, actually, and I, we, I don't know if we, oh, no, that's what we did. Um, my my husband and I, Brad, we stayed one night at Giraffe Manor. So here's another tip. If you really want to just blow the budget <laughs> <laughs> right out the door, yeah. um, you spend a night at Giraffe Manor okay. because in the morning, when you open the front door, the giraffes put their head through the door to wow. get a pony pellet from you wow. or your window because their head's so high. 
or breakfast when you're sitting at brunch in the sunroom and the drafts come along and they stick their heads right in the window. <laughs> and it's truly amazing. Um, but you still can see those giraffes, even if you don't stay at the manor, which is, it, I, I checked into it, you know, in 2008, it was pricey, but now it's a little bit over the top. Um, but you can go to the giraffe center when you're there yep. and you can see the Rossville giraffe, which um, are, there's three different um, species of giraffe in Africa, the reticulated, the Rothschild, and the Mara, the Maasai, Maasai, Ma, I think it's, uh, yeah. Um, and, but anyway, you can go and you can see these giraffes and you can feed them pony pellets and you put the pony pellet in your mouth and they call it giving you a kiss and they take the pony pellet from your mouth. <laughs> and when you have a giraffe head next to your head with an eyeball that's like three inches in diameter, <laughs> it's looking at you. <laughs> It's amazing. It's really, really amazing. So, like I said, in 2008, Mary organized it again. I got a bunch of people together and we did this this traveling safari. And our outfitter is called Safaris Unlimited. Um, They've actually become family to us because we've been there now eight times in 10 years, I think it is. Yep. And on our second safari in 2010, um, Gordy met his then groom. She'd come from England, and she's now his wife, Felicia. And uh, they have two darling children. Um, so really, we've we've watched we watched them get together. You know, she had her first baby. We when we were out, we didn't see her that time. She was busy with being <laughs> home, but she's had a second child, and so they're really like family to to us because we've known them for so long and seen so many of their life you know, special moments. So just just going back, because you said about base camp or travel further each day, you know, but that's basically what you're doing. You're not having a base camp. You're going out so that you can go a lot further. Is that right? That's right. So yeah. when we go So you'd see tomorrow, a lot more than people. If people stayed at a base camp, you can only go out and see so much. But if you're travelling further each day, you can really get out there. Yeah. And that's why that's the style that we've stayed with. Mm -hmm. Um, So we can travel up to 200 kilometers in the nine days. It depends a lot on where the game is, um, but we move camp three to four times. Mm -hmm. um, And it's so amazing. The crew is so amazing because they, that we, we ride out in the morning at dawn. Um, Basically it's, it's right off the equator. So it's 12, 12 lighting and we ride out in the morning and the crew breaks down the entire camp, packs it all up moves it, hopefully that they can get through on the roads and there hasn't been rain, and they set up the whole camp and you ride into hot showers and hors d'oeuvres. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's in comfort, isn't it? So you've got the going out and doing it rough and traveling further each day and going 200K, which, you know, the, the yeah. riders, you know, do you have, I mean, you have to be able to ride, you know, you wouldn't be a beginner rider to be riding Correct. that much. You know, you've got That's to be right. able to be uh, and have a certain amount of fitness with your riding. And so say I was going to set a goal, okay, yep. and um, right, this is what I want to do. To evaluate the riding skills, what sort of riding skills would I need to or what do I need to set the goal? You know, how far out do I need to set it? Because you're doing one in September, aren't you? Yes. Okay. Okay, is that too soon to set a goal and what sort of riding skills do we need? So it really depends on what you're doing with your riding. In other words, if we get somebody who's a fox hunter, 
they could go tomorrow. Sure. Um, they're used to going over uneven terrain. They're mm-hmm. used to, you know, having to gallop off. They're used to being out for several hours. They're used to, you know, just being in a herd setting and that sort of thing. So if you're a fox hunter and, a, you know, an eventer that's, um, you know, I've forgotten what your levels are over in, in Australia. They're mm-hmm. a little different mm-hmm. than ours. But, you know, I mean, jumping three foot and galloping and stuff, okay. you're, you're fine. Yep, yep. And we do have some people that don't own their own horse that come with us, but those people need to be riding, you know, three to four times a week consistently. Um, They need to be able to stay at a steady trot for a good 10 minutes. They need to be able to canter solidly and they need to be able to, um, if the horse had to gallop away for a short distance, stay with their horse. Yes. So it's really a safety factor. It's not like we're galloping around the Mara because then you don't get to see the game. Yeah. Um, so, but the safety factor is really the key. You know, so uh, um, what we tell our guests is you need to be able to gallop. Now, do you have to gallop like a racehorse? No. But, you know, if your horse has to move off quickly, you need to stay with your horse. And that's really the key. Um, the last time, so we basically book out, like, we're doing, we do every two years. So we're going in 2020 and then we're going back in 2022. And so it usually takes like um, two years. Like we usually, our guests join us, they contact us, they say they want to go. We've already got people contacting us for 2022. And we tell them, look, this is what your skill level needs to be. And we've had people that their skill level was not there at the time they booked. But sometimes you need a really good goal to get you there. Yes, you're right. You're right. And so that's another tip is that, you know, sometimes you need a goal to really get you to where you want to be. And I look at this as sort of a culmination of skills that you've learned. I've had people that have, you know, done clinics with me and then, you know, done some other kind of event like Costa Rica, where I take people on on, um, retreat, which is lower key. And then, you know, like build sort of a program to make sure that they're ready and they're going to have a good time. Because that's the bottom line is you're you're going there to have a good time. You're not going there to be scared out of your wits. Okay. Yep. <laughs> you know, yep. you really want to enjoy it. And, and I'll tell you, mm. um, my first time, you know, you're, there's so much coming at you that you've got your tent, you've got your, well, I had a tent mate, um, but you've got your tent, you have to figure out, you know, okay, the, the lighting is 12-12, right? So that's really different because I'm coming from summer. Um, you have coffee and tea brought to your tent every morning with <laughs> milk and sugar and a biscuit. So you have to get used to luxury yep, yep. <laughs> and being waited on. And then getting up, getting organized, uh, going out to the picket line to get your horses. We go out for a morning ride. Um, maybe come back because we saw something, jump in the vehicles and go off and do some viewing, um, come back, you know, have a meal and then take a nap. I mean, I don't take naps. <laughs> so I had to get used to laying down for two hours because in the heat of the day, that's what everybody does. We all take a nap. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. Okay. Okay. Different lifestyle then. Yeah. 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 Um, and then, of course, there's afternoon tea, which you're probably used to. But as an American, you know, we don't do afternoon tea. <laughs> but at 4.30, you come up from your tent. You have afternoon tea with a bicky, And then we go out for an evening ride if it's a non-move day. Yeah. Wow. And then it's dark. It's dark. It's, you know, 6 o'clock. Yep. Um, yep. So you're taking your showers in the dark. 
um, you go down to have your hors d'oeuvres and your cocktails and then have dinner. And by, you know, nine, 10 o'clock, everybody's ready for bed. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, so just going back to this riding skills then, you know, um, mm-hmm. the fitness, how do you work it? Do you get people to send video? I mean, if you don't know someone and they contact you and you haven't taught them before, you've never met them before, do you evaluate the skills? How, how does that work? So for, uh, my husband is actually the, he handles the administrative stuff because I'm yep. typically not around. Um, but he has a long conversation with everybody mm-hmm. and he really talks to them and explains to them and finds out what their riding level is. And then, you know, if he, if he feels, cause he's a rider, he used to play polo in okay. college yeah. and he's, he's ridden many times with us on safari. Although the last time he was in the vehicle, cause he hasn't been on a horse for a little while. So he chose to go on the vehicle, which is totally okay too. Sure, it's really fun. Sure. Um, but so he'll spend a lot of time talking to that person, kind of checking out what kind of riding they're doing now. And, you know, when you, when you have a nice long chat, you start to kind of get a sense of what the skill level are, what yeah. the riding is like. And then, but the time he has that conversation, either the person has realized they need to up their game mm-hmm. or they're really ready. And so if they need to up their game, we, rec- you know, we tell them here, you need to, you know, here's some books you can read. Here's some courses you can take. Here's, this is the skill set you need to have. Yes. Um, we yeah. may go to video in the future, mm-hmm. but we haven't, we ha- you know, it's, haven't needed it's to. really, yeah. that's yeah. one of the things with the pandemic is we're all getting better at our technology skills. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So basically if they weren't up to speed, you'd set some sort of schedule to just improve their skills and evaluate right. them regularly prior to going out. Yeah. Yep. And I've yeah. even done um, sort of boot camps with a couple of people, like they were actually lived nearby. And I, a friend of mine had a, has a couple of horses. And so we went over and spent some weekends and it was a husband. So the wife, wife I'd known for a long time and taught her mm-hmm. uh, and the husband was going to ride. And about a month before we were going, we suddenly discovered that he had not really been working on his riding skills. Uh, okay. Yes. And so we had to do a couple of weekend boot camps and mm-hmm. get him up mm-hmm. to speed. And, um, and there's two things when we're out there. One is um, they have different skill level horses. Um, yes, yes. Okay. You know, I mean, the safety factors. But we had an 84-year-old woman come with us one year. Wow. And she did fabulously. And she rode Yala, this little gray um, bush pony who was fabulous and took care of her. And Yala's retired now, but, um, you know, she, she took care of her. And yeah, yeah. it was awesome. She had a great time. So that so now when people say, oh, I'm too old. And I look at them and go, until you're 84, you can't say you're old. <laughs> you know? Wow. Wow. Yeah. She was amazing. She must have ridden earlier then, being a rider. Yeah. 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 Um, and the other thing is, and this can happen, like we've had rides where we're at altitude. and People don't realize that the Mara is at 5,500 feet. So it's okay. the same altitude as Denver. Mm-hmm. So it's dry. And you're dehydrating because it's dry, you know, yes. and you don't feel like you're sweating. Um, it's just evaporating. And so we've had people where, you know, we we emphasize you really need to take some electrolytes. And if you haven't had a pee before 10 o'clock, then you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have had people where we've had to say, look, you can't ride today. You're you're you, ha- you know, you're not well or they'll tell us they're not well. Yeah. Um, yep. Stop. 
I need to interrupt this chat for a hot-off-the-press notification. That is, that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available, and the best news is that it's a free download. So if you work in the horse industry, if you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, then this is an essential book for you to read now, and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page, and click on the 101 Careers in the Horse Industry button to receive your free career book. Imagine, maybe one day you could be a guest on Horse Chats. I suppose that that's when you have the support vehicle anyway, that they'd be able to yeah. use the support vehicle. Yeah, okay. Yep. Or they could stay in camp. Or I mean, mm-hmm. we've had camp actually have to move one person one time because she got, um, you know, heat stroke. And yeah. um, and it was a move day, and so they just she stayed in her cot till they had packed everything up around her, and then they mm-hmm. put her in the vehicle and took her to the next camp. Uh, so okay. Everybody's got to go. The yes. only thing we leave yes. behind is ashes. Okay. Wow. Has wow. To go. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and we're riding on Maasai land, so this is one of the things that's so amazing, is that um, the Maasai they formed what's called conservancies over there, where there's land that's owned by different Maasai, and they've gotten them together and said that, look, if you pull your manata, your homes back, and the game, and I've seen this because before, when we went in 2008, this had not happened, and every year since they formed the conservancies, the game has gotten better and better because the Maasai have pulled back with their homes. That's allowed the game to proliferate. The people th- that um, use to do tourism, ecotourism on their land, pay the Maasai for the use of the land. The Maasai now have um, portable bomas. So a boma is at night, they'll put the cattle um, in a thorny bush area to protect them. Yep. Right. Well, now they have portable bomas that look like glorified round pens. And so they are doing rotational grazing. Mm-hmm. And so the manager of the conservancy will watch and look and see how the grazing's going and then tell them when they have to move their cattle and they move their cattle and graze another area. There's no fencing, right? But they know the area mm. and they go and graze another area. And of course, now they've fertilized with the cattle poo where they've been and they're being paid for the use of their land for tourism. Yeah. So it's a win-win. Everybody's winning. And I've seen the cattle, you know, going down to the river to drink right with the hippos there and they're fine. Yeah. Um, So it's been a huge benefit to the the wildlife because when, you know, when we used to go like the second safari, we barely saw a lion. And now we'll see like two or three prides of lion and they'll have like a dozen cubs and we'll watch them play. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's really amazing. I'm just thinking because you said safari is unlimited is who you go with. But how do you even know if they're reputable before you get there? What what sort of things do you or do you go over and check them out or do you? You know, and what do you do? That's a really important question mm. because one time we were riding and we saw another company bringing in a group and the guy on the, one of the guests on top of the vehicle said, oh, I checked out you, Gordy, um, and I chose the unsafe safari. I mean, he said it out loud. Wow, wow. <laughs> so, okay. um, you know, one of the things to do is look at reviews. Yep. There's reviews online to look at the reviews 
The other thing is to, you know, there's, there's not a lot of companies doing this. I mean, it's really not an easy thing to do to keep horses in Africa. Um, they have a lot of diseases. So you're going to have a handful of companies. You have to decide, first of all, which country do you want to go to? Because um, you can do horseback safari in Kenya, in Botswana, in Tanzania, in Namibia, in South Africa. So um, you, you want to choose which country you want to go to. Um, and then, like, the reason people come with me, with my company now, which I wound up inheriting from Mary because Mary passed, um, it's called Horsing Around International. That's the only ride mm-hmm. we do really is go to Kenya with Gordy. You, you um, said Costa Rica. You, you said something well, about Costa, Costa Rica. Rica. Yes, I do Costa Rica, yeah. and that's um, and I have a Equisol as my group down there. Um, but I mean, yeah, that was a later addition. But okay. for Kenya, I mean, it's for Africa. Um, and you have to decide: Do you want to go from a base camp, or do you want to do a, a moving safari? And then you know, look at reviews. And then ask for references. If you're not sure, ask for references. Ask if they have a spare horse when you're, you know, if it's a move day, are there, is there a spare horse? Do they have a groom come with you? Um, You know, these are questions that you wouldn't know to ask ahead of time, but that's important to know because if a horse goes lame and you don't have a spare horse, you know, (laughs) what's going to happen there. And the vehicle can't always get to where you are. Um, So it's really important to work with a reputable booking company or really investigate the company that you're going to ride with. You know, um, don't just go online and go, oh, they look good. (laughs) Yeah, yep, yep. I think that's what I'm saying. Um, And, you know, and ask people that have been, um, you know, it's interesting because, when I talk to people that have been not with with Safaris Unlimited, but with other companies, whatever country, you know, they'll they'll start out. Oh, it was great, and then you just listen, and they'll go, Oh yeah, well there was that time, mm-hmm. you know, and you know. So what was the most exciting thing? That's a great question to ask someone. What was the most exciting thing that happened on your safari? And it may be something that you don't want. Yes. Okay. What one person thinks is a thrill, another person may not. Do not ask event riders. They're fearless. They're going to tell you whatever happened. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. Because I'm thinking, you know, like if, if you're a competitive rider or if you're a rider and you've got your own horses at home and, you know, like to get away for a couple of weeks, it becomes a bit of a challenge. Have you got any tips for just keeping things in order at home? You know, that's a really big deal. And I have one person and she's come with me twice on safari, but she will not come in the winter because she's too concerned that they might, you know, we might have a really bad snowstorm and her help wouldn't be able to get to her barn. Okay. So, you know, if you have your own horses at home, I'm sure that you probably have already had to have times when you've been away um, and you've found a a horse sitter or a neighbor or somebody, but you really want to make sure they're okay with doing it for the length of time you're going to be gone. Yeah. Because it's not just the nine days. You've got the travel days there and back and the couple of days in between if you take an extra day. So, um, you know, it's really important to find someone that you trust, someone that you know, someone that knows your horses, and hopefully somebody that's been already helping out, like, 
on short trips, say you had to go for a weekend somewhere, or say you went to a horse show and somebody had to stay home and take care of the horses, mm-hmm. or maybe you mm-hmm. have a working student, um, or maybe you have a boarder who's a really reliable person. Yes. But it's it's super important because if you don't have that good person at home and something happens, you're not going to enjoy the rest of your safari. And mm-hmm. we've had it. Mm-hmm. We've had it happen, um, you know, where there's been something that happened at home, but they knew they had a good person at home and everything was under control. Um, I will tell you that there is excellent cell service, although we try to get people not to use their phones. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. The reason being that Kenya never really went through landlines; they went from nothing, pretty much nothing, to cellular. Okay. So in many ways, they're actually ahead of us here in the U.S. because they have such good cell service. But you know, one of the benefits of going on a, a trip like this is to leave home at home. Mm-hmm. Make sure you got good people. You know, make sure you have your standard operating procedures with all your phone numbers and, you know, your whole list. If this happens, you go chunk, chunk, chunk. If this happens, chunk, chunk, chunk. You assign everybody. You make sure that they all have their jobs. You have a secondary backup so that when you go, you turn off your phone and you have a good time. Mm, It's an opportunity to just leave your world behind and immerse yourself in a completely amazing magical is what Gordy always calls it magical land with magical people and incredible wildlife. And, um, I always tell people you can take the Mara at so many different levels, like the sky, just watching the sky, the sunsets, the sunrises, the puffy clouds, the, the way they travel, just looking at the sky. Mm. Or you could take it just looking at the landscapes, the varied terrain. You'll get escarpments and you'll have little ravines and you'll have the river and these little pockets and these grassy plains and just that. Or you could take it just on the mammals, the land animals. We go in September when it's 1.5 million wildebeest are migrating from the Serengeti up into the Mara following what's called the Gnu Rains which is little rains that cause the grass to, to spring up. And so they've calved down in Tanzania, the wildebeest, and they're migrating up through the Mara, and then they'll head back down into Tanzania. And so with them, you have herds of zebra and antelope and giraffe, and, you know, there's this sort of this whole parade of migration, and it's really amazing. Or you could take it at the level of like the plants, the flowers. You know, if we get a little rain, all these little flowers pop up or you'll see a flower, you're riding along, go, I have that in my garden. I one's <laughs> from here, right? Um, oh, I just I just think it, but it's so ideal to experience all that, but you're still riding, still with the other people that ride. You're still, you know, it, it's a, you, yeah. everyone knows that it's a unique experience, but to do it on horseback, I think is, it's just something that um, there's nothing yeah, like it because yeah. you're not encased in a metal object. You know, it's yes, you and yes. your horse and the land. That's and right. as you ride along, you can look down. You know, one day Gordy stopped. He got off his horse. He put his arm down, and this chameleon climbed up on his sleeve and changed colors. Oh wow! Like, How did you wow. ever spot that chameleon in the grass? Yeah, it was crazy, yeah, yeah. right? 
or or elephant five miles away. Look, there's a herd of elephants. I mean, it's mm-hmm. the the um, that's another thing that's really fascinating. Is my vision always gets better when I go. Okay. Because the distances are so great that you're doing. You know, you we're sitting on computers and we're always sitting looking at up close on a screen, and you get out there and you're looking down into Tanzania from Kenya. Right. Mm-hmm. When we get up mm-hmm. high, you can look forever, and so. So your vision changes because you're doing all this long distance viewing. And I always find that my eyes get better when I go there because I'm not sitting there looking at a computer <laughs> screen hour after hour. Yeah. Sure. Now, say we're going, we've said, right, you know, set the goal, getting the riding ready, um, you know, riding sort of three or four times a week. What about as it gets closer, just to do with what sort of visa do we need? What sort of shots do we need? You know, like we're traveling to a country we haven't traveled to before. So experience from someone who's been there, what what can you tell us as far as tips well, go? Well, the, the one thing that I, I will never do is advise you on what shots to get because that's really between you and your doctor. Oh, okay. You, yes, yes. Okay. Right. Um, so we always advise people go to your, you know, Check your primary care physician, yep, yep. have a talk with them, you know, because we just can't make that advice. Sure. And some of them require planning ahead. So mm-hmm. you, it's always good as soon as you find out that you're going or just make the decision to go talk to your doctor and say, okay, what do I need? Same with mal- uh, malaria. Now, there's are more mosquitoes at my house in Virginia than there are on the Mara because it's at altitude and it's very dry. But say you're going to go, uh, we went to um, Mombasa, which is right on the Indian Ocean, and that's a completely different story. So you need to, to, to take into consideration what your doctor's recommendations are. And we have the CDC, um, which is um, Center for Disease Control, and you know they make recommendations. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things you do need to do is figure out how to pack because you're only allowed 35 pounds, which oh, is... Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, and when you, we, we give you a packing list, and by the time you get in your boots and your helmet and your half caps and a few other things, it doesn't take long. Mm, <laughs> um, mm. There's a lot of things you don't need. We actually, um, and Brad has done this, and it's and he updates it every, every trip, but we have a 65-page guidebook that tells you, because power is different. It's a different plug from the U.S. Mm. Now, I don't know if it's different from Australia. It would be. But yeah. it's it's different from the U.S. And so, you know, you need your converters and um, but you don't need a you know dozen converters um, that we have some solar chargers. You can charge your your electronics in the vehicles when they're running, um, you know, like uh, you want a pair of flip flops for your shower, um, but you don't need to bring a bathrobe because they provide one. And so this 65 page guidebook, which he, like I said, improves every year. Um, show, gives you pictures of what types of luggage to have, like not your hard-sided suitcase, um, and gives you a packing list of things that you need. But the other thing that typically happens with our groups is that we get them all connecting with each other. So what happens is somebody says, well, I'm going to bring so-and-so, and somebody else goes, great, well, if you're going to bring that, then I don't have to. I'll bring such and such. And, okay, yes. Um, you know, yes. we can kind of share that around and um, – a camera this is if you're not a photographer then i mean that's fine you don't have to be a photographer but <laughs> i i have a little canon power shot that i ride with and i just click away because you know if the horse moves and i don't get the shot no big deal but if i get one or two shots from my little canon it's fabulous and if i lose it i'm not going to cry like if it was my iphone okay right i mean 
we literally, and this happened one time, this woman had her iPhone and she lost it. And we had had, um, had stopped for a pee at this place. So Gordy and I went in the vehicle and we went back and we checked it all out. We saw giraffes. It was awesome. (laughs) We couldn't find the phone and, oh, and our crew gets so personal about this. Like Karanja, who's the, he's in charge of maintenance. He's like, oh, Miss Wendy, did she find her phone? I'm like, no, Karanja, she hasn't. But then someone went over to make a phone call. She had to call home and she went to where there was a signal and there on the ground was the iPhone. Wow. Wow. Like, what are the chances of that? Okay. Yep. Um, so, you know, like I bring a spare camera, so I don't, you know, I do use my iPhone, but having a lanyard, um, with your phone, like in a case on a lanyard is a really good idea because one time I was taking pictures of lions and I was in the vehicle. It was dark. It was just coming dusk. And I had my iPhone set on the edge of the window, which was open. And all of a sudden my phone plopped out of the <sighs> car. Okay. And I was like, oh, no, Pete, I just dropped my phone. We're going to have to come back after the Lions movie. He's like, no worries. And he, we had a second vehicle there, and he sandwiched my phone between the two vehicles mm-hmm. so that he could slide out the door, grab it, and slide back into the vehicle with the other vehicle blocking the Lions view. But, you know, I should should have had my phone on a lanyard. So that didn't happen, but I was, I didn't. I had gotten a new phone and the lanyard didn't fit from the old phone. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, okay. I'm just thinking now, because you would leave from Virginia, do you? Or where do you leave from? You know, say say I've booked, because I'm pretty enthusiastic now, and say say I, um, you know, right, this is what I want to do, you know, you've got it all organised, I want to go with you, but I don't want to fly to Virginia to get to Kenya. No, 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 no. So what's the best way there? What can we do? Um, so you fly into Nairobi, which is an international airport. When we fly from the U.S., pretty much everybody, um, all the flights stop in Europe somewhere, whether that's Zurich or London or Amsterdam. What's the other one? Uh, Belgium. Um, and so you, from here, from the States, you go over to Europe and then you change planes and then you fly down. Because it's, it's for me, it's eight hours across seven hours across and then eight hours down. Okay. So from, we've had people, we have people coming from New Zealand on this, on our 2020 trip. Okay. Yep. Um, they would fly from Welling, not Wellington, um, Auckland mm-hmm. to Nairobi. And you can fly from, um, I've actually flown from Perth to Africa. It's actually not that uh, bad a flight for you guys. Are, are you in Sydney or? Bruce, side of the closer to Brisbane. Closer to Brisbane. Okay, mm. yeah. So you'd, I bet you you'd fly out of Brisbane or you'd go down to Sydney and then fly over. Yeah. So basically what we do with our groups um, and the way we arrange it is that uh, we include a night in the hotel prior to flying out in the local flight to the Mara. Okay. So everybody comes in on their international flight. We have a hotel. We all go to that hotel you know, it's got hot showers and it's a pool and lovely meals and everything mm-hmm. and kind of make sure we get our whole group together. We've we've had people that have missed that uh-huh. um, and luggage that's gotten lost. Yeah. 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 Um, but it all works out. It always works out, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but you fly into Nairobi and then we have the night at the hotel and everybody, we get everybody together as a group so everybody gets to know each other. And then I usually people come in a day ahead because what I do is I take everybody on what I call shopping safari in, yep. in Nairobi. And we go to the giraffe center. 
Um, and we go and um, sometimes Karen von Blixen's house, which is still there, or um, uh, what's it called? Udamandui, which is all these little craft shops that Lewis Leakey set up. Um, but then the thing that we really have a great time doing is that we go to the evening feeding for the uh, um, orphan elephants at the Sheldrick Wildlife Trust. Wow. Okay. And so okay. the Sheldrick Wildlife Trust was started by um, uh, Mr. Sheldrick and then run by his wife, Dame Edna, for years and years. And now it's, she passed and her daughter has taken it over. And they foster baby elephants that whether they've lost their mother to poaching or they've fallen down a well or they sometimes found them and they don't know what's happened. Um, and they it's amazing. They bring them in. They run IVs. If they have to pick them up, they'll start the IVs. They have a plane. They have a helicopter. Somebody's donated a helicopter. And they go out and they'll doctor animals like they've doctored um, lions and elephants that have maybe caught in a snare. Um, but the babies, they in, and once they know they're going to be okay, then they're integrated into the herd. And every day, they walk them out into the national park, which is borders Nairobi. So this huge national park is right there next to Nairobi. And they stay with them all day long out in the park. And then they bring them in for the evening feeding. And the little baby elephants come trotting fast and hollering yeah. for, their, for their milk. They were really yeah, hungry. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so you can pet them and you can go around and look at them all and talk to the keepers and find out their stories and adopt a baby elephant to, um, you know, to follow mm -hmm. with the emails mm -hmm. every month. And um, yep. it's yep. one of one of the highlights. It's actually one of my favorite things is to go to the elephant orphanage. Oh, there's so much, Wendy, you know, I mean, I'm, you've sort of talked about it. And, and the fact that you can see all that and ride, you know, I just yeah. think, wow. You, you get to ride and, you know, other people with horses. Is there anything else we need to know? I mean, obviously people need to contact you and those details will be on horsechats.com and you could search for Wendy, search for Murdoch. But what else, Wendy, if they contact you, Wendy at Wendy Murdoch or, or where should they contact? Yeah, Wendy at Wendy Murdoch or yep. you can go to my website, murdochmethod.com and we have a section on safari and you can download the guidebook from my my store. It's free. Yep. It's, you yep. just go into the shop and download the guidebook so you can get a feel for, you know, what the whole thing is about. There's an, a, um, a general itinerary in there and there's pictures of the horses and it's all English tack. You do need to be able to rise the trot. So your Western riders need to get out there and make sure they practice rising trot. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's important. Um, we, re we require that our guests wear a helmet. Okay. Um, other groups don't. But, you know, I mean, I want you to all come home alive and safe. And, you know, the head's really important. So, yes. um, and, you know, it's it's a trip of a lifetime. It's really what what all of our guests tell us afterward is that it exceeds their expectations. Okay. That they couldn't like the food. We didn't even talk about the food. <laughs> I mean, gourmet meals cooked in a charcoal oven and an open fire. Unbelievable meals. Unbelievable. Um, you know, focaccia and soups and poached eggs and <laughs> Yeah. Um, it's very British. Wow. Okay. It's very wow. British. You know, you're not just out there going camping and I've also got to organize all the food 
it's one thing you don't have to worry about. You know, you do need to know how to ride. You do need to get, yep. you know, your shots in preparation, a bit of safari gear. What about safari gear? What do you need there? Is there is there anything that you'd need beside your regular riding gear? What what else? Um, you want your your nice lightweight long sleeve tops. Yep. I always wear long sleeves. I'm very I'm Scottish, very fair skinned. Uh-huh. Um, the packing list tells you exactly what to pack. Okay, cool. Um, so it's it's. We're pretty specific, you know, some long sleeve shirts, some short sleeve shirts, a couple of pairs of britches, but they do your laundry. Oh, wow. They do your laundry. Wow. Okay. okay. And okay. I forgot to tell you one of the best parts. They polish your boots every day. <laughs> so my boots never look so good as when I'm on safari, okay? I come home and my boots never look so good because they're not getting polished. Wow. Um, it's okay. really, it's, you know, you're there. The crew is there to take care of you. You can mm-hmm. go and sit by the fire with the Maasai guards that are watching the horses at night in an open fire with the horses highlined. You can go and into the mess tent and see what they're doing. They, they uh, always have a smile. They want you to enjoy their country. They they really care about um, – I mean, they told us after the first safari that we were then family. Mm. And, you know, in the United States, somebody says, oh, you're family. You're like, yeah, yeah. Well, when we went back in 2010 and we got out of the vehicles and the crew greeted us, we cried because we realized they meant it. Yes. You know? Yes. And that was just so amazing that we really were part of their family. And they remember our guests. Mm. When we go back, they'll ask us about certain guests. How are they? If something's happened, are they better? What's going on? I mean, it's it's really, it's amazing. That's why we love them. Yeah. Yeah. Wendy, I think I'm sure that I'm speaking for other people as well that, um, you know, if they maybe they just thought, oh, we'll, we'll listen to this podcast because we've heard from Wendy before and I enjoyed the jumping tips that she gave us. I'll just listen to this anyway. You know, all of a sudden they're inspired and they, uh, and they go, wow, I think I would like to do a safari and Wendy's the perfect person to do it with. So, it, you know, they know your contact details and everything and, and I think... Um, you know, we need to chat to you again or, you know, about it. Um, but you've got so many different areas that you can chat to us about anyway, Wendy. I, yeah. I think, you know, looking forward to um, to chatting with you again. It's been wonderful. Yeah, I really have enjoyed these. They've been really mm-hmm. fun. Mm-hmm. Bring back some yeah. good memories for you and you're getting ready now. You're going in September. You've got a couple of times in September because I think one of them booked out. Is that right? And then We you know, actually doing... booked out both of them. We have oh, two have back-to-back you? rides. okay. okay. So, so can people get there. on a wait list just in case someone yes. has to pull out at the last minute? Okay. Absolutely. And so they can either email me at wendy at wendymurdoch.com mm-hmm. or go to my website, murdochmethod.com, and just in the, you know, the link to contact, they can do that or download the guidebook so that they have some idea of um, costs and everything else that's yes. required. Yep, um, yep. And, yeah, and, you know, that's the thing is in 2022, it gives you time to plan. And we found we've done safaris in less than two years, but we find that it's a bit rushed for people and that the two years gives them the time to get organized, you know, to get everything together. And, yeah, that seems to work well for us. So that's what we do. Beautiful. Yeah. All right. Looking forward to chatting with you some more then. And certainly we want to catch up after, you know, after you've done the safari. But um, we might chat to you again before that anyway. All righty. Sounds great. Thank you, Wendy. Bye-bye. Thanks so much. Have a good time. You too. Bye-bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate, and subscribe. 
If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below 